Well, hello and welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley and we're here to talk all things leadership. And my guest this week is Judy Brown. Judy's a author, consultant, leadership uh, practitioner, poet, uh, and a whole lot more, I'm sure, that I'm missing out there, Judy. But welcome, Judy. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's uh, wonderful to be here, and this is a terrific topic. <laughs> well, and our topic today is actually uh, going to be a strange and interesting one for some of uh, the people I work with, because I want to explore the idea of how leaders can use poetry. And um, and you and I have done work together. I think we first met 20 years ago in deepest, darkest Indiana in a manufacturing plant and have done work in the in the government, in the law enforcement and intelligence community, and, and also... Um, Montgomery County administrator. I think that was one of the, the fun ones we did together. But uh, so we, we work in the same field, but one of the things you, you uniquely bring to this field on a regular basis is poetry. And, um, and so I wanted to explore that a little bit with you today. All right. Um, I've always used uh, poetry as a way to open sessions or close sessions. And what I've been, what I've learned over time is that uh, executives who follow that kind of pattern really are able to strengthen their own ability in working with rich language. Um, there's also a process involved for us as leaders, which is when we shift into poetry, brief poetry, straightforward poetry, um, it, we get a chance to rest our logical left brain that has been working on strategy and plans and pulling things together and, um, and let our right brain do some work on imagery, there's a kind of relaxation in that. And in many cases, we may see things we didn't see before because of the image of a particular poem. Um, I think uh, <laughs> it, sometimes it seems uh, startling to executives to think about poetry, but I've learned a good deal over the years, actually from the executives. When I got ready to do my book, A Leader's Guide to Reflective Practice, um, a colleague from Ford called me up. He said, I understand you're doing a leadership book. I said, yes, I am. He said, I hope you're putting that poem in called Trust Equals Speed. I said, I'm not putting poetry in the book. It's difficult enough to make things clear without confusing people with poetry. He said, you did a lot of really good work in the plants with us. He said, however, the best thing you ever did was that poem you wrote us called Trust Equals Speed. Put it in the book and he slammed the receiver down on me. And that is how the leadership book that is really a set of recipes about leadership also has poetry in it. Well, that's one of the things I was going to flag today and, and uh, hawk for you that uh, A Leader's Guide to Reflective Practice is one of those books that I routinely recommend to leaders. Uh, it's, I normally have five that I recommend, and that's one of them. And one of the reasons is it, it is different. And um, some of my clients will recognize things such as the rule of six, uh, which is in there, and cone in a box, which is in there, which uh, for those that don't know, you're going to be intrigued now to find out. But then it's always got also got poetry in, and it's not unusual for somebody to come and say, are you sure this is the book you wanted me to get? And uh, and have yes, why? Well, it's got poems in it, 
And then a few weeks later, I'll find that they opened it up one day when they were having an issue, read a poem, and that poem spoke to them about the issue that they were dealing with. So that combination is kind of unique. Yes, and um, it's surprising how often people begin to settle into that. It's also surprising the people you wouldn't expect as leaders to become quite gifted at using poetry in their own practice as leaders. I have a favorite executive of mine in the field of support for elders. Um, and he's the last person by looking at him you would expect to be interested in poetry. He's, uh, he has all kinds of tattoos. He has a strong military background. He's been an EMT, he's a no-nonsense guy. And one day he came up after I read, read a poem in a session we were in, he said, you know, when I open my staff meetings, he said, I always open it with a poem and I read the poem and then I allow for some silence afterwards. And he said, I notice you read the poem and you just go right on to the business. Why do you do that that way? I said, I'm a little shy about the poetry. It was clear he was not. He was absolutely comfortable starting things at a staff meeting with a poem and letting a bit of silence rest after the poem. And that actually is one of the things that I think comes from working with poetry for executives who do it is a, a greater comfort with silence and with asking a question and listening uh, and not being thrown by people taking a moment to think. Right. So the poem and then a pause, and it gives you a chance to reflect on what you've really just heard. And that, that space is something that I think uh, uh, leaders all too often skip out. And I'm, I'm lobbing you a nice gentle ball, and you know where I'm going with this now, don't you? That there's, um, I, I wonder if there's a poem that particularly would call to you that you could start us off with. Well, what I'd want to do is read a poem called Fire, um, which is actually about space. People make sense of it in a whole variety of ways, but it's actually a, a poem about how to build a fire. Um, and I grew up in Northwestern Michigan and we had a wood burning furnace and a wood burning fireplace. So how to build a fire was really important. This is the poem, fire. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in too tight can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and absence of the fuel together that make fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. A fire grows simply because the space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. A recipe for fire. <laughs> well, it's a recipe for leadership in a lot of ways, isn't it? I, I don't know how many times I've had a conversation with a leader about stopping and not diving in with the answer or the solution, but just pause, leave the space, and then if anything, ask a question. Yes. Don't don't jump into it, and and that's about creating the space for the other people to jump into and to critically think. And so I, I was that's one of my favorites uh, in that that book, as you know. So um, I, I I think sometimes we don't think about balancing the logs and the spaces. I had an executive who watched me build a fire one time, and I was done with it. He said, 
he built that fire just exactly like the poem said. I said, of course, the poem's a recipe for building a fire. He said, but you've got a, a rack over here that has logs on it. He said, you need another rack on the other side for spaces. And I thought it just nailed me. I thought that he's absolutely right. When I take a piece of work or part of a meeting or make an observation and lay it on and it's a log, I need to reach over and reach for one of the spaces and put it on the fire next. Right. So balancing uh, is something I think the poem teaches us. And all too often leaders don't schedule that space. They, they go from meeting to meeting, from activity to activity, and don't actually schedule time, what I call staring out the window time, Yes. which yeah. is where we create the space to think. And, to, and I love that what you said at the beginning, that not only think, but uh, what you do is open up both sides of the brain to that thinking rather right. than just the side that naturally, naturally falls. Right. We've got a whole brain. There's really a good reason to use it. <laughs> and uh, poetry leads us into that kind of space. So the, 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 some of the folks may be listening to this thinking, okay, so Wheatley's eventually gone mad and uh, we don't know where it's coming from. But I think that um, one of the things that I, I would ask is how, when and somebody's listened to this and heard fire, for example, and thought about that and the spaces, uh, apart from buying your book, how do people get introduced to using poetry as part of their leadership tool bag? Well, I would imagine you can do what people do so often, which is just Google uh, poetry posts. And you can also uh, look for books by uh, Garrison Keillor, the Minnesotan, uh, himself a poet, of really good, straightforward poetry, collections of poetry. But I'm a great believer in keep, begin to keep your eyes open for um, a poem or a phrase or a quote that catches your eye and collect those. Um, the, the important thing is that you begin to notice what catches your attention and what you're attuned to. Um, and because when you share that then with people, particularly people you're leading, you're saying something really important about who you are because it caught your eye. You care about it enough to share with them. There's a kind of self-disclosure. Um, uh, vulnerability in that. Vulnerability is an odd word for it. I just say transparency, giving people a much better sense of who we are. Uh, so the, the poetry is like an additional, almost an, uh, an additional uh, radio signal that you can give people uh, that gives them a much stronger idea of who you are and a much stronger idea of what you're about. And it gives them a chance to breathe. And I think that the word you used there initially, vulnerability, I think that resonates because, again, all too often leaders have the confidence but don't express the vulnerability, which goes in parallel with the confidence. And um, and when we manage those two together, that's good. And, and so if it does show somebody a little bit more about who they are, peels back a layer of the onion, it provides an insight for followers to better understand and therefore better connect with leaders. And, and even as you're alluding, um, capture quotes, look for poetry, even listen to song lyrics, because what are they but poems put to music? Yes, they are. And in all of that, when we share that we're touched by those, there's a kind of transparency, a much greater sense of uh, who we are 
and there is greater clarity in the messages uh, that we're sending. I mean, I look back on it and wonder, why would I think it natural? I mean, if you think about it, David, here we have on this podcast together, one, I hope I'm not blowing your cover, former uh, British police officer and one former chief financial officer of the largest business school in the nation at that point. And we are talking about <laughs> leadership and poetry. Uh -huh. So if we can do that, uh, executives need to be fairly comfortable with at least dabbling in this sort of thing. So, uh, so at least give it a go. Yeah, so let's give it a go. I mean, I grew up, I realize now, with a strong sense of this being possible. Uh, my dad was a county agricultural agent. We had a book of poetry in the house by a man by the name of Clint Ballard. At that point, Clint Ballard was my dad's boss. He was head of the Michigan State University Extension Service. And he had printed this beautiful book of poetry. And so to me, it's always been natural that uh, an executive would have both an interest in poetry and would even write poetry, which has been one of the odd lessons for me, the surprises when I work with executives. I mean, initially, uh, I provide little notebooks and they have a little bit of poetry. And initially, people are trying to page and say, wow, that little bit of poetry was really helpful. And then they'll turn a page. I remember a young engineer doing this and saying, I wrote something I didn't even realize I knew. Um, and then before long, I have particularly engineering executives coming up to me and saying, here, I wrote a poem. Don't tell anybody, just put it in your pocket. And so I would end up with pockets full of really good poetry written by executives who were pretty shy, but clearly were also pretty good poets. I would actually make a case for the fact that I think most of us if we would listen to ourselves and take some space, um, have a potential to write some beautiful lines ourselves, if we just pay attention to what's going on in our head. And so, Which again is kind of create the space to pay attention. Yes, yeah, in our own lives, because otherwise we're just gonna live by bullet points. I mean, that's, you know, that's all that's gonna happen. And particularly when things are tough, which they often are in organizations, um, their poetry can give people a kind of sense of writing out the difficulties. Uh, and there's actually a poem I wrote about that, David, I'm gonna dive into called, uh, let's see if I can get a copy here, uh, Trough. Um, and it comes from the experience of growing up near Lake Michigan. Um, and realizing how formidable those waves are. Um, it's, um, it's a poem that many people tell me they are using right now midst of pandemic and all the other difficulties we're facing. Um, and um, so let me read it. Uh, I think it's worth a, a listen to it. There's a trough in waves, a low spot where horizon disappears and only sky and water are our company. And there we lose our way unless we rest, knowing the wave will bring us to its crest again. There we may drown if we let fear hold us within its grip and shake us side to side and leave us flailing, torn, disoriented. But if we rest there in the trough, are silent, being with the low part of the wave, keeping our energy and noticing the shape of things, 
the flow, then time alone will bring us to another place where we can see horizon, see the land again, regain our sense of where we are and where we need to swim. I was purposely trying to leave the pause there as well. <laughs> See, I was going to just jump in. I really have to be trained. I was trying my best. I, I've learned from the best here. I'm trying to leave that pause. Thank you. I appreciate your sharing. And, and so uh, both of those, I believe, are in A Leader's Guide to Reflective Practice. Yes, they are. And, um, and so that's definitely one resource that people can tap into. You mentioned Garrison Keillor as well. Yes. Uh, what else have you got on the go? Any other books on the go at the moment or another one you'd recommend? Well, I'd actually, I have another one of mine I'd recommend only because there's a poem in it that seems so apt for the things we're facing right now. And it's my uh, book, The Art and Spirit of Leadership. Um, so let me read this. It's called Storylines. I wrote this back in 2002, and it is so 2020. It's startling to me. Sometime back, the storyline we had in mind disappeared into some brambled place, and we were left beset by our anxieties about where the path had gone, wondering with our feet as still we edged along into foreign terrain that has an odd appeal as it turns out. Unexpected joys created out of mutual confusions and grieving shared and hidden creeping out of what never came to be that we had counted on. Strange stories that we used to guide us, myths that promise trails we never found, and improvise stories that grow out of the gifts and tragedies of a life we never had expected. So something to give us a bit of comfort when it seems as if everything is up for grabs, says she quarantined in her wonderful home just off a creek where she can kayak otherwise isn't going anywhere so uh you know storylines that just disappeared into a brambled place this yep. is a brambled place in many ways it sounds like my backyard but we'll uh, we'll leave that one alone the brambled place there's work to be done so i appreciate what i mean what i'm hearing there is um the what we're talking about is how leaders can use poetry the why we're talking about it is because it can expand your thinking and change the language that you use and, and bring in a broader sense of, of things to it. And, and then how we go about doing that. There's all sorts of resources, whether it's you, you pick up the best, your favorite song lyric that you pick up on the radio on the way to work, or you pick up your book, A Leader's Guide to Reflective Practice, and, and take a look at some of those or the art and uh, spirit of leadership. Art spirit. I knew that art and spirit of leadership. That's on the other shelf. But uh, Judy Brown, thank you very much for joining us and sharing some of your poetry with us. And I hope it inspires a couple of people to go out and play with it and give it a shot. So do I. Thanks for the invitation. Well, thank you. And um, I just want to, again, thank Judy Brown. This is the Humanity Leadership Podcast, and I'm David Wheatley. I'd like to thank Brian Spencer and Finkel for our theme music of the beginning. Please share your feedback and suggestions of who you might like to hear from or what you think of what we're doing here. I can be contacted at humanity.com and like and subscribe and we'll see you next time. In the interim, stay healthy. Thank you.